Section 27 of The Purple Cloud. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Purple Cloud by Matthew Phipps Scheel. Section 27. That ever I should write such a thing, I am driven out from Imbros. I was walking up in a wood yesterday to the west. It was a calm, clear evening about seven, the sun having just set. I had the book in which I have written so far in my hand, for I had thought of making a sketch of an old windmill to the northwest to show her. Twenty minutes before she had been with me, for I had chanced to meet her, and she had come, but kept darting on ahead after peeping fruits, gathering armfuls of amaranth, nenuphar and red-buried asphodel till weary of my life i had called to her go away out of my sight and she with suddenly pushed under lip had walked off well i was continuing my stroll when i seemed to feel some quaking of the ground and before one could count twenty it was as if the island was bent upon racking itself to pieces my first thought was of her and in great scare i went running calling in the direction which she had gone, staggering as on the deck of some laboring ship, falling, picking myself up, running again. The air was quite full of uproar, and the land waving like the sea, and as I went plunging, not knowing whither, I saw to my right some three or four acres of forest droop, and sink into a gulf which opened to receive them. Up I flung my arms, crying out, "'Good God, save the girl!' and a minute later rushed out, to my surprise, into open space on a hillside. On the lower ground I could see the palace, and beyond it a small space of white sea, which had the awful appearance of being higher than the land. Down the hillside I staggered, driven by the impulse to fly some whither, but about halfway down was startled afresh by a shrill pattering like musical hail and the next moment saw the entire palace rush with the jangling clatter of a thousand bells into the heaving lake some seconds after this the earthquake having lasted fully ten minutes began to lull and soon ceased i found her an hour later standing among the ruins of her little yali Well, what a thing! Probably every building on the island has been destroyed. The palace platform all cracked, leans half sunken askew into the lake, like a huge stranded ark, while of the palace itself no trace remains, except a mound of gold stones emerging above the lake to the south. Gone, gone! Sixteen years of vanity and vexation. But from a practical point of view, what is a worse calamity of all is that the Esperanza now lies high and dry in the village, for she was bodily picked up from the quay by the tidal wave, and driven bow foremost into a street not half her width, and there now lies, looking huge enough in the little village, wedged for ever, smashed in at the nip like a frail matchbox, a most astonishing spectacle. Her bows forty feet up the street, ten feet above the ground at the stem, rudder resting on the inner edge of the quay, four masts tilted forward, the other two masts all right, and that bottom, which has passed through sea so far, buried in every sort of green and brown seaweed, the old Speranza, 
Her steps were there, and by a slight leap I could catch them underneath, and go up hand over hand, till I got foothold. This I did at ten the same night, when the sea-water had mostly drained back from the land, leaving everything very swampy. However, she there with me, and soon following me upon the ship. I found most things cracked into tiny fragments, twisted, disfigured out of likeness. The house walls themselves displaced a little at the nip. The bow of the cedar skiff smashed into her middle against the aft starboard corner of the gallery. And were it not for the fact that the air pinnace had not broken from her heavy ropings, and one of the compasses still whole, I do not know what I should have done, for the four old waterlogged boats in the cove have utterly disappeared. I made her sleep on the cabin floor, amid the debris of birth and everything, and I myself slept high up in the wood to the west. I am writing now lying in the long grass the morning after, the sun rising, though I cannot see him. My plan for to-day is to cut three or four logs with the saw, lay them on the grounds by the ship, lower the pinnace upon them, so get her gradually down into the water, and by evening bid a long farewell to Imbrus, which drives me out in this way. Still, I look forward with pleasure to our hour's run to the mainland, when I shall teach her to steer by the compass, and manipulate liquid air, as I have taught her to dress, to talk, to cook, to write, to think, to live. For she is my creation, this creature, as it were, a rib from my side." But what is the design of this expulsion, and what was it that she called it last night, this new going out, Flom Halan, Haran, I believe, being the place from which Abraham went out, when called by God? We apparently felt only the tale of the earthquake at Imbros, for it has ravaged Turkey, and we two poor helpless creatures put down here in the theatre of all these infinite violences. It is too bad, too bad. For the rages of nature at present are perfectly astonishing, and what it may come to I do not know. When we came to the Macedonian coast in good moonlight, we sailed along it, and up the Dardanelles, looking out for village, yali, or any habitation where we might put up, but everything has apparently been wrecked. We saw Kilidbar, Shanakala, Gallipoli, Lapsaki in ruins, at the last place I landed, leaving her in the boat, and walked a little way, but soon went back with the news that there was not even a bizarre arch left standing whole. In most parts even the line of the streets being obliterated, for the place had fallen like a house of dice, and had then been shaken up and jumbled. Finally we slept in a forest on the other side of the strait, beyond Gallipoli, taking our few provisions, and having to wade at some points through morass a foot deep before we reached dry woodlands. Here the next morning I sat alone, for we had slept separated by at least half a mile, thinking out the question of whither I should go. My choice would have been to remain either in the region where I was, or to go eastward, but the region where I was offered no dwelling that I could see, and to go any distant eastward I needed a ship. Of ships I had seen during the night only wrecks, nor did I know where to find one in all these latitudes. I was thus, like Abraham, urged westward. 
In order, then, to go westward, I first went a little further eastward, once more entered the Golden Horn, and once more mounted the scorched Toraglio steps. Here what the wickedness of a man had spared, the wickedness of nature had destroyed, and the few houses which I had left standing round the upper part of Pera I now saw low as the rest. Also the house near the Sulamayana, where we had lived our first days, to which I went as to a home, I found without a pillar standing. And that night she slept under the half-roof of a little funeral kiosk, in the scorched cypress wood of Iob, and I a mile away, at the edge of the forest where I first saw her. The next morning, having met, as agreed, at the site of the Prophet's mosque, we traversed together the valley and cemetery of Cassim, by the quagmaries up to Pera, all the landscape having to me a rather twisted, unfamiliar aspect. We had determined to spend the morning in searching for supplies among the earthquake ruins of Pera, and as I had decided to collect sufficient in one day to save us further pains for some time, we passed a good many hours in this task. I confining myself to the great white house in the park overlooking Cassim, where I had once slept, losing myself in the huge obliquities of its floors, roofs, and wall fragments, she going to the old Mussulman quarter of Jangir near on the heights of Taksim, where were many shops, and thence round the brow of the hill to the great French embassy home, overlooking Foundoukli and the sea both of us having large Persian carpet-bags, and all in the air of that wilderness of ruin that morning a sweet, strong, permanent odour of maple-blossom. We met toward evening, she quivering under such a load, that I would not let her carry it, but abandoned my day's labour, which was lighter, and took hers, which was quite enough. We went back westward, seeking all the while some shelter from the saturating night dews of this place, and nothing could we find so we came again quite late to her broken funeral kiosk at the entrance to the immense cemetery avenue of iob there without a word i left her among the shattered catafalques for i was weary but having gone some distance turned back thinking that i might take some more raisins from the bag and after getting them said to her shaking her little hand where she sat under the roof shadow on a stone good night clodagh she did not answer promptly, and her answer, to my surprise, was a protest against her name, for a rather sulky yet gentle voice came from the darkness, saying, I am not a poisoner. Well, said I, all right. Tell me whatever you like that I should call you, and henceforth I will call you that. Call me Eve, says she. Well, no, said I, not Eve, anything but that. For my name is Adam, and if I called you Eve, that would be simply absurd, and we do not want to be ridiculous in each other's eyes. But I will call you anything else that you like. Call me Lita, says she. And why Lita, said I? Because Lita sounds something like Clodagh's, says she, and you are already in the habit of calling me Clodagh. And I saw the name Lita in a book, and liked it. But Cloda is most hollable and most bitterly hollable. Well then, said I, Lita it shall be, and I shan't forget, for I like it too, and it suits you, and you ought to have a name beginning with an L. Good night, my dear, sleep well, and dream, dream. 
and to you too my god give dreams of peace and pleasantness says she and i went and it was only when i had lain myself upon leaves from my bed my head on my caftan a rill from my lullaby and two stars which alone I could see out of the heavenful from my watchlights, and only when my eyes were already closed towards slumber, that a sudden strong thought pierced and woke me. For I remembered that Leda was the name of a Greek woman who had borne twins. In fact, I should not be surprised if this Greek word Leda is the same word etymologically as the Hebrew Eve, for I have heard of bees and bees and dees interchanging about in this way and if die meaning god or light and by meaning life and i of and i hova and god meaning much the same are all one that would be nothing astonishing to me as widow and vuve are one and where it says truly the light is good to bon, this is as if it said truly the die is die such at any rate is the fatality that attends me even in the smallest things for this western eve or greek leader had twins end of section twenty seven